0: Welcome. You are listening to Where We Talk Art. I'm your host, Victor Gartner. And today we have a guest here who is a teacher at the Port Charlotte Middle School. And in fact, she was the judge for the winter holiday show at the Northport Art Center. And I think we're going to talk about that a little bit because it was such a nice event. Folks, don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back.
1: Partnership for the Arts. Come join us as we explore the world of art. You can find us on our Facebook page at Partnership for the Arts Group Talk Show.
0: Or you can find us on our new website at PFTATalkShow.org.
1: PFTA Talk Show is recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida.
0: And Laura Pucci, welcome to Where We Talk Art. Thank you. Are you happy to be here?
1: I am happy
0: to be here. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) And and you were the judge, and you so graciously offered to be the judge. I I really appreciate that. I won't give a number, but I'm going to say it was uh, well under 100 pictures. Oh, yes, it
1: was
0: under 100. And uh, you picked first prize, second prize, third prize, and one... Um, what do we call it? Honorable, Honorable mention. mention. All right. Mm-hmm. So let's let's start with the third place um, painting, which was?
1: Which was a watercolor winter scene. And the color scheme or the color palette for it was very limited. It had very sweet, lovely blues, whites, grays. And yet it brought you in and you could feel the cold snow. Mm-hmm. And you could also like see yourself entering the cabin that was in the scene and just snuggling under a blanket and having a, a, a drink of cocoa. You know, it was, it was warm, even though it was a winter scene. Right. And that's what drew me in, because I could feel a moment. And that's what always, ultimately, is the deciding factor for me about what I love in art, is it draws me in and speaks to me, and not just because of its beauty, but because it evokes something inside an emotion gives me that moment that i can see or feel and that can be with abstract art or realism it doesn't matter but it's that's that's what speaks to me as a viewer as well as an artist
0: yes when i was interviewing uh, dean mitchell a few months ago um or half a year ago however long that was that was one of the things that he said too when he came here as a judge, he said there was a lot of technically excellent pieces of work. But every once in a while, he looked at a picture that really drew him in, and he felt something. Yes. And mm-hmm. he, to me I'm, and to him, it, that was the deciding factor. Yes.
1: Yeah. And, and I'm an art teacher. And so you can – I tell students all the time, there's a lot about art that's skill-based, and you can develop that skill and develop that skill and develop that skill. But until you have a voice mm. and you can project that voice through your art, you're always going to be missing that little thing. And and that's, you know, that's hard for me as an artist as well because I can do things and I can do them technically well. And yet somebody else might win or sell their painting or be accepted. And I'll look at it and be like, uh, I don't get it. But it has a voice. Right. And that is that intangible thing about art. It's finding your voice and also letting it be heard through visual art. <laughs> I,
0: I've just finished my second, what I would call, narrative piece mm-hmm. in, in Scratchboard. And the scene is two children are looking out of a train window. And down below them is their father reaching up with one hand like he's trying to touch them through mm-hmm. the window. And he has a rifle slung over his shoulder, and you can see bullets that have been, the train car's been hit by bullets. Oh, my goodness. And it's, it's taken from the capital of the Ukraine, oh where so God. many families have put their children on trains and sent them to Poland because they want them to be safe.
1: Uh, so heartbreaking.
0: And so when you look at that picture, you can see how those kids are just sobbing. Mm -hmm. it gets me just to talk about it. And
1: and I'm sure that's coming through because you obviously have great emotion, great commitment, great attachment to that moment, that feeling. And you can't help for that to come through your work. And so when... I do a lot of um, flora and fauna of Florida. Mm -hmm. And so it's very different. You're doing this moment between humans. And I often will do an animal or flowers. But... One of the reasons that I'm doing that is I'm very passionate about native Florida, and so when I try to do something else, I don't often get the same, you know, oblom whatever word you want to use, with um, with my art because I'm it, the passion for myself is not coming through the canvas, if you will. All right.
0: So, and we we talked briefly about third place and why you picked that, but now there's a you have to make up your mind about which is first place and which is second place. I'm, they're probably probably pretty close oh, for yes. some reason. Oh, yeah, right, they so. were
1: come very close, and I went back and forth, back and forth. But the second place was a bunch of ornaments, and, oh, my goodness, so incredibly well done. And when I when I was talking about the comments, I said it was an amazing study on form. She had this beautiful red ribbon draped. She had all these ornaments, and they were these beautiful spheres, and they just popped right off the canvas. And it was magnificent. There was no way to say anything but that. But the one that won first place, and like I said, you know, it was so close. It was a scene of a person playing piano and it was in grayscale except for a red ribbon on a goose and the green Christmas tree, but I was just transported into that moment, singing Christmas carols, hearing the music, and for me, that was, there was no technical difference. They were both amazing, but that was what made the difference in first and second place. And as I said, no judge... Can come to an art show without their bias. That's I mean, true. that's one of the beautiful things about art and mm-hmm. one of the most difficult things about art. You know, my human experiences are going to inform my choices right. and my taste, and there's nothing you can do about that. As hard as I might try to look at things with a skill base. Kind of try to do that first. I'm not going to choose something that's not skillfully done well. But after that, then, you know, I'm a person. I'm going to bring my my, my taste, my value, my experiences to that moment, what I like and what I don't like. And so that's why, you know, when I try to enter shows all the time and things like that, and then sometimes I recently was rejected. And I was like, I don't get it. I really thought that piece was good, Mm -hmm. and and I don't get that way too much anymore because you know, okay, it's all, you know, it's subjective, but recently I was really bummed out because a piece didn't get in a show, and then I looked at some of the pieces that were in the show, and I was like, you got to be kidding me. How come mine didn't get, and you want to call, you want to see, please tell me why so I can work it, but it's subjective. It and is. as an artist, you, you go into all of this knowing that. And if you don't know that, then that's another reason why, why you won't succeed.
0: Oh, I like the comment you made at the Northport Art Center about artists are the, 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 the only... The
1: last people who can handle constructive criticism. And Musicians, rejection. And rejection. Musicians, <laughs> uh, uh, actors, uh, visual artists... Dancers, I feel like we're the final frontier of people who literally deal with constructive criticism and rejection on a regular basis and yet keep moving forward. And um, because everyone wants everybody to feel good all the time and artists are still like, okay, feel good, but that was junk or feel good, but you can do that better or feel good, that was amazing. Because not everyone's gonna get the part. Not everyone's going to get in the show. Not everyone's going to sing the solo. That's right. And it's, that's, it, that's the reality of it. It's really the reality of life. But somewhere in our society these days, we've kind of, at least in America, I think we're losing a little bit of that, mm. other than the arts.
0: Mm. I, I mm-hmm. hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. We're going to jump to your past. My past. Because I want people to get a better idea of like, <laughs> like who you are you know, how you got to where you are today, and so let's begin with, where did you grow up?
1: Well, I was born in Long Island, New York, Yay. but I really, I really grew up in the South Florida area in a town called Pembroke Pines, which is in what you would call the Hollywood Fort Lauderdale greater area, and so and I went to high school at Nova High School, which is in Fort Lauderdale, but it, way in the west, southwest side of Fort Lauderdale, so that's where I grew up. And then I went to Florida State University for college. so I'm campus? A Florida girl. Oh, Tallahassee. Okay. Yeah.
0: You, you, say, you say that yes. <laughs> like I should have known. I, I
1: went to <laughs> Maine campus, baby. Oh, oh,
0: that's the main campus. Oh, ta-
1: yeah, that's the campus.
0: All right, because mm-hmm. many colleges have oh, yes. multiple
1: campuses.
0: Mm-hmm. Like the University of Maine, they have five or six. The State University of New York oh. has... No,
1: in Florida, Dozens. our state system, everything has a different name. So there's Florida State University, which, of course, I put as number one. And then there's University of South Florida. There's University of Central Florida. There's University of Florida. There's University of, Florida. There's University of West Florida. So it's not like New York where it's University of New York, Buffalo. University right. of New York or SUNY yes, Binghamton. Exactly. So in California, my husband went to college in California. He went to UC Davis, People yes. don't realize that Berkeley is a UC Berkeley. You know, so our system in Florida, everything has a separate name. So I went to Florida State. All right. And when
0: when you were there, what was your major and what did you My graduate My major
1: with? was multilingual, multicultural education. I actually started, though, as a voice performance major, but quickly realized if I do this, mm-hmm. I'm going to end up hating music because... It just, it was ruining it for me. It was Mm. ruining music for me. And so I was like, I don't want this life. I don't want to have to get gigs and sing when everybody else is, you know, with their families and and all that kind of stuff i I want to sing just for the joy of singing and so i I realized quickly that i didn't want to sing to make a living and so I have a passion for foreign languages and and cultures cultural studies, so I went there, but to the multilingual multicultural education, and then art history was my minor
0: no kidding art mm-hmm. history mm-hmm. that i can't imagine that there can be too many job opportunities for people who major in art history
1: well that those people are in academia yeah and yeah, yeah. they they work for galleries Resumes. and museums yeah yes. and so multilingual multicultural education along with art history I had some dreams of being in museum education and being maybe a museum curator or things like that but you know That was one of my dreams. I I liked teaching. I liked working with kids. And so there was a while where I thought, okay, I might go the route of museum education. But then, you know, life happens and you meet the man of your dreams and you get married. and, Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so your dreams kind of change and shift. And not that that ever left me, but... There are different pathways and different dreams, and they're all just as wonderful. And so I graduated from Florida State. I taught at home. I taught middle school Spanish. And then I was like, you know what? I'm not done with being a student. So I went to Penn State University and actually majored in applied linguistics or teaching and teaching English as a second language because I thought to myself, if I'm going to be single, I want to live in Europe. And even if I'm not single, I want to live in Europe. <laughs> specifically Italy. You know, cuz I got to live in Italy as a as a college student, Italy and Spain. Oh, that must have been wonderful. Yeah, it was wonderful. And I did meet um my husband at Penn State University and uh we had we were very like-minded and both wanted to travel and things like that and um but ended up never living in Italy again, but I've been to Italy. <laughs> After that, so when you were um, in
0: Italy, you, you didn't fall in love with some guy named Vincenzo or something. Well, my and...
1: husband is Enrico, so I don't need to go oh, to Italy oh. for it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All <right>. Yeah, you <laughs> top that question exactly. I got I got everything right here in the good old U.S. of A.
0: Good for you. <clears throat> so somewhere along the line, um, you decided to teach middle school, and I know lots of educators who say I'd rather cut off my arm then teach middle school it's the worst age of, of humans you know to be working with that group their hormones are raging they're emotional they're 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 disruptive but some people like my wife she loves that great
1: group yeah and and you're right their hormones are raging they're emotional they're irrational but you know what the truth is that their their bodies are becoming adultish Yes. But they're little kids, mm-hmm. and they still need—they still need to be little kids, you know. Not babies like elementary school because I don't enjoy that because it was it was too maternal for me. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone all the time, and you know, had to make sure everyone's feelings were fine, you know. <laughs> right. But I really do love middle school. It's really it's a great age, and one of the, one of the great things about them is that. They really still do want to please adults. They want to please their friends, too. Um, And they're kind of in this, you know, netherworld of, you know, I'm a little kid and I'm becoming a big kid and what's going on and what's my identity? And you get to this little moment almost. It's only three years of time to be a part of their life, a part of something they will never forget. Because good, bad, or indifferent... They never forget their middle school years. That's because true. so much is happening to them. And they're discovering so much. And, um, and, you know, it's a time when if you can put the love of art or the love of music or the love of history or the love of math, if they can start that then, then you've started a seed that's going to grow and blossom because those passions really begin at that age. And so it's really fun to be part of... Seeing and developing those passions in their life and um, encouraging them and saying, hey, you might want to be a doctor, but there's nothing wrong with being a doctor who also plays the trumpet. Or you might want to be a chef, but there's nothing wrong with being a chef who also loves to draw. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, you might want to be... A radio talk show host. But there's nothing wrong with also being someone who knows how to, you know, fix their car. And they learn this. It's just a great time of life to make impressions. And um, also, it's, they really need to know that they're loved and that people like them. Because they're, whether they do or not, they assume everyone hates them at that age.
0: See, <laughs> I hadn't thought about it that way. Yep, they do. Wow.
1: I mean, think about it. When you were in middle school, didn't you assume everyone was against you?
0: No, but I no? thought there was a significant number of people I didn't like that were out to get me. Yes. yes.
1: I mean, yeah, exactly. So, mm-hmm.
0: All right. Now, I, I, I understand that you have
1: twin boys. I do. How old are they now? They are 23. They just graduated from college this past May which was so lovely. Um, Ricky, he was born first. His name is Enrico Pucci the Third. Ricky. He graduated from Palm Beach Atlantic University with honors Good in psychology. Him. Yeah, he nice. was in the honors program over there. He loved it. And he met his bride-to-be there, and he's engaged, and he's getting ah. married June 18th of next year. And then um, that's the lovely Shanna. Anyway, so they're getting married, and we're just in love with her, and it's, It's such a lovely relationship. He's going to graduate school in the fall at Belmont University in Nashville. So they'll Mm -hmm. be moving to Nashville. And then Frankie, my Francesco Pucci, he went to Duke University and graduated with a B.A. in sociology. He is working very diligently to get an open door in the sports industry. And that's, that's a really tough place to get into so he's working really hard to try to find a position in this he's starting to think about graduate school too just in case that doesn't work out during this year and he'll go to sports management but doesn't know where he'll he'll do that but in the meantime he's working at champs and selling sneakers because he's a sneakerhead
0: is that right
1: (laughs) oh yeah he's total sneakerhead is
0: he a sneaker collector
1: Uh, collector seller all that stuff he's very into sneakers
0: very interesting.
1: It is interesting. Yeah, when your son has a passion for shoes that's almost rivals your own, it's <laughs> it's weird, you know. It's like, oh, I love sandals, and he loves sneakers, and so anyway, but yeah, he's really into that. So he's he's enjoying what he's doing right now. But as has bigger dreams.
0: Are, are they identical twins?
1: No, they're fraternal twins.
0: Fraternal. Mm-hmm. All right. I I knew this man who had um, two boys, twins, and. Um, he was telling me that one day uh, a person, an adult, asked one of the boys, are you are, are you identical twins? And and the boys were about five years old then. And he said, no, we're eternal twins.
1: Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> that's so cute. Oh, my gosh. When, when my boys were little, they looked, I mean, they looked very much like brothers. But when they were little, they looked a lot more, you could say, identical. And I would have... I remember this one woman who came up to me. "Who oh, are they, identical or fraternal?" I said, "Well, they're fraternal." She said, "No, dear, I don't think so." And I wanted to say, "Why did you ask?" <laughs> but it's they're fraternal twins for sure. And um, but they have a they have a fun relationship. Just the other night, they were talking to each other and laughing about things. And my husband and I were looking at each other like, "What's going on?" We had no idea what they were talking about, but they knew and they were laughing, and it was wonderful to watch that they are still, they still have those connections That's, after being wonderful. apart for four years in college. So, that is yeah, wonderful. it is, it is. So. All right.
0: Well, as we've been talking for the last few minutes, we've had the lawnmower outside <laughs> passing by uh, several times right outside the window here in the studio. And I, I want to, before the lawnmower comes again,
1: <laughs>
0: ask you about your award of being Teacher of the Year.
1: That was very exciting. It was You know, it was, it was a shock and it was one of the greatest compliments of my entire life. It was a little bit sad because it happened during COVID year. So Mm. those of us who received that during COVID year, we didn't get like the fun party and whatever, but you know, it didn't diminish the beauty of my colleagues and my administration bestowing that yes lovely lovely honor on me that and it is was quite really an honor really was the pinnacle of my career as far as compliments and it just you know we, we all love to be recognized we do we do we're human we love to have compliments and and I always say artists love to be admired teachers love to be thanked teachers and you know when your colleagues are saying hey we agree with this because we kind of vote as a staff-huh and um it's just, it's really. And, and when you love your administration and they, they really make the final decision, when they come to you and you're just like, oh, my gosh, this it really is, was one of the greatest compliments of my life and was the greatest compliment of my career. Yeah, it's really. Very nice. Was, and then I got to be one of five finalists for Charlotte County. So that, you know, I was like, oh, I'm tough stuff.
0: <laughs> did, did they, but they did, didn't
1: win the final. Uh, did,
0: did the administration give you like you know, a, a better parking space or something? You know after no, that award. No, but
1: we, we got a lovely award and we did get a, a lovely little uh, what do you want to call it? A little honorarium. You know. Very good. And um, so we we were definitely treated very nicely, and um, it was it was lovely. It was really lovely
0: that's wonderful yes it is well Laura right now I'm going to suggest that we take a a little break we're going to be right back hi my name is Frank DiDomizio and I love to listen to the podcast where we talk art welcome back this is Victor Gartner and you are listening to Where We Talk Art, talking to our guest, Laura Pucci. And Laura, I, I wanted to bring up the, the subject of public art because you once told me that that's one of your passions. It's a great So
1: can passion, you explain
0: to uh, to the listening audience what public art is?
1: Well, public art is anything that is outside for the public to see at any moment, at any time. For the public to interact with, public to touch, it could also be inside a building that's a public building. You know, libraries often have beautiful yes. public art. Art centers like the Vac here, the Visual Art Center of Conigorda, right. and the Northport Art Center; those are public art institutions. They're here for the public. You do not have to pay an admission fee to go in and see the beautiful art. Now, they no. also offer classes, right. which you do have to pay for because you know your someone's expertise is coming. After. So. A town like Punta Gorda has this. That has an incredible mural walk and a a theme. They have it's all historical, and they've chosen to be very faithful to that theme. Mm -hmm. And they do such a beautiful job. Huge. Some of them are huge, but they also are diligent about the the upkeep and restoration. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful. I, I can't say enough about it. And so Punta Gorda here has really amazing public art scene. Where I used to live, I used to live right outside of Clearwater, Florida. One of the things that they have is um, a trail of dolphins. They're sculptures and they have different artists who are accepted at different times. It started with the 50 of them and it was called the Pod at the Pier and, and they, it's kept going and kept going. Venice recently did um, seahorses yes. and mermaids. That's- towns that have different things, but it's outside for the public to see. Cocoa Plum uh, Shops has those beautiful iron, the yes. flamingos and the drafts, and that's for everyone. And murals are like that as well. They're out there for everyone to enjoy. and I think that that is of such great importance. Because art should be for everyone. And I'm not saying that all of my artwork can hang outside because I do a lot of textile art with fabric and things like that. That wouldn't
0: last outside. Yeah,
1: No, it wouldn't last outside. But I also paint murals, so that could go outside. I just am so passionate about it because young people who don't have that in their lives don't ever develop a passion for it either. And so art becomes almost a passing thing that other people do. Hmm. Whereas art really should be part of all of us because art speaks to our culture. It speaks to emotion. It speaks to moments in time, to history, to <laughs> to excitement. It It really should be part of our daily lives. And cities and towns that have that really, I do think, have a richer, closer-knit culture and community. And I I think it brings people together. They tend
0: to be more of the go-to cities.
1: Yes. But then even their own residents, it's something that we are proud of. It identifies us. We say, oh, I live there. I live Mm -hmm. there where they have the dolphins or I live, you know where those seahorses are or you know where they have all those murals like downtown St. Pete. I live there. There's a sense of pride behind that as well. Mm -hmm. So, and art can also speak to what things that we need to to change in the world or to to do in the world. You know, I have a friend, his name's Donald Giolinella. He's a sculptor and he's based out of St. Pete and he's recently done some pieces, very huge, beautiful pieces, all with recycled material. And Hmm. a big, huge fish that's all with recycled material and it's in a park. And it speaks to the fact that, look, out of ashes or out of trash comes beauty. I know another piece in that he did of uh, all butterflies in a garden, you know, saying we need to protect the butterflies. These gardens are for that. Oh, I just thought of the fact that we have that sculpture garden over here in uh, Peace River. That's right. Now, that's not free, no. but it is nominal.
0: It's beautiful. Feet, and
1: it's beautiful. And it's just out in the open. So you just walk around and enjoy. That's right. And, you know, so... I, I'm very passionate about art being for I everyone. can tell. Just the way you're mm-hmm. talking about it, you
0: are passionate. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and you also talked about doing murals. Yes. Uh, I'm kind of fascinated by the murals here we have. I, I, I don't understand how one marks out where to paint lines and and how to get the image from a piece of paper mm-hmm. that they, they sketched out a mural to something that is 10 20 30 <laughs> f- feet
1: big. How does that happen? Well, it's it's you know, art takes a lot of math actually, believe it or not. And that's one of the things I do in my middle school classroom. We they have to understand that hey, if you have a plan for this, you might have to measure something, but you have to learn to draw and by scale. There's also we have so many wonderful technological advances. You can project your image onto the the building. However, if you haven't drawn it to scale first on paper, Mm -hmm. it's not going to project correctly. Um, So recently I did the the mural at um, Northport Art Center, which is native flowers of Florida. And I had um, quite a few high schoolers and even some middle schoolers helping me, especially in the beginning, because um, at the end I was doing the things that had to look unified, so they had to be done by one hand. But in the beginning we had to paint big areas of white or big areas of orange or right. big areas of whatever color. And I said to them, I said, Hey, look, painting murals, it's not very sexy. It's a lot of hard work and you're doing more on the base than you are on the like that that pop. Mm-hmm. That comes way at the end. And um it's all because of what you said, of the, the scale of what you yes. have to do. You know, I there's a big huge hibiscus, well the base of that, we did this in this lovely coral orange color, and that there was like you know a what is it like a fifty square foot hibiscus. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. oh that's a big area to paint. Yes. And so you've got to have a couple, three coats, and then then you can go in and you can do you know the the um, shadows and the dimension and things like that. But that comes way at the end, right. you know. So and that's another thing is that when you're drawing and painting on that large of a scale, the way you use detail is very, very different. And so um, you really do have to be able to stand back. And so, like, I I would never paint a portrait as a mural because I'm just, that's, I, I, I would not feel confident. But yet in Punta Gorda here, we have some, Re- very realistic portraits. Hats yeah, off do. to those artists. But the way they have to paint that portrait is significantly different on a mural wall than on a canvas. And mm. so um, they have to, you know, the the little wrinkle they do, <laughs> instead of being just this tiny, you know, thin line with a thin brush, is like you know four feet long. <laughs> <laughs> so they need to get it just right. So, um, so painting uh, portraits as murals is not my gig, but I love flowers and scenes and, um, you know, nature and abstract kind of fun stuff like that. So that's, that's where I'm at with that.
0: Wow. Well, if I wanted to, to see a mural... That was very different than than what we have in Punta Gorda, you know. Something that's worth a drive to go see. Where would you recommend that I go?
1: Well, the the shortest distance would be to St. Pete. St. Pete has some great funky murals. Really? Oh yeah, amazing. But you I haven't know,
0: been to St. Pete in in quite a while. My If you feel like taking wife's a vacation, mother lived in St or just outside of St. Pete. Uh-huh. And I remember the big pier there, and eventually mm-hmm. that was replaced with something else.
1: It's a it's pier again, and it's lovely. It really is. Um, I miss the Columbia, but it is, it is. there. There's a lot. It's beautiful. The new pier is beautiful. And you think I of I vacation
0: to. places. Uh, if it, if
1: I was going on vacation and I wanted to just see murals, I would go to New Orleans. Oh, my gosh. New Orleans? New oh. My God! You know,
0: I've never heard anybody talk about New Orleans and mention murals. Oh They're my Talking goodness. about you know the the crazy parties and the parades and the oh no! Every place is a bar with the doors are open. No, 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 and no, no Blah, no. blah, blah.
1: The art scene in New Orleans is second to none, and I've been very fortunate to live in Italy, live in Spain, travel, travel all over the United States. New Orleans has an energy that you just can't match anywhere. And so they have these amazing murals, and some of them are just murals that artists just do because there's an empty space. Mm. And then others of them are specifically set apart for that. But one of the best things about the public art of the murals in in new orleans and um one of the greatest things about all of them is that the artists who work there have no expectation that it won't be touched or even for lack of a better word vandalized Mm. and so it's a living breathing dynamic thing and um like i said there are areas that are specifically set apart for murals and they'll be painted over after a few years and someone else is commissioned to do them and then there are just artists who come and find an empty wall maybe on an abandoned building and they paint right. and those murals are just as important to that city and recognized as the murals that are commissioned and so they do a great job of keeping them and restoring them but also they what i think they do the best job of is recognizing that public art has a dynamic quality because it's out there and it's going to be touched and maybe modified mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of right. modified if you will and you know the artist might come back and just fix it or use some of that modification or vandalism in a new you know way and take that with it and so the, the art scene in New Orleans is, is amazing, but the public art scene there is really absolutely fantastic.
0: Well, thank you for that information, because I I was purposely saying to myself for quite a while now that I don't want to go to New Orleans oh my for a vacation.
1: It's one of my favorite places in the world. I don't go onto that one street. Yeah. I, that's not my scene, but the music there, the food there, the art there, the people there, just... A more warm, lovable place—I don't think you can find now. And okay. I'm not—I'm not a party girl. I am not. But my husband and I—it's one of our favorite places in the world.
0: That's wonderful.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm going to put that on my list yep. to do.
1: You got to do it right, though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that a little okay. bit more. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so I—I'm looking at the clock, and my goodness, I can't believe how long we have been talking. And I've enjoyed every minute of this conversation. Wonderful.
1: Me too. And
0: Laura, I have to ask you, is there anything that you want to say before we end the program? Well, we talked about
1: one of my greatest passions, which is public art. But my other great passion is art for our youth. I mean, we need more opportunities for our youth to be exposed to art, to experience art, to create art if nothing else, so they have an outlet for their emotions and their feelings. Yes. But also because that's, they're the people who are going to be creating, obviously we all say this, our future, but we don't want a future without art. And we don't want a future where everything, I'm sorry, but we don't want a future where everything is digital because even though digital is available to everybody, digital ends up being experienced in an echo chamber you know you find something you like you repeat it over and over and over again so while i don't have a problem with digital art and think that is a huge wave of the future not think no it's a wave of the future we still need that tangible art that's available and that people are getting their hands dirty doing because mm-hmm. there's nothing like that there's nothing like that experience and, and so right and we need to have that balance because if we don't, and we only have a digital world, then people will be more and more separated because they'll be going down little pathways in the digital world where they find something they like and that's all they do all the time, all they experience all the mm-hmm. time. And I, you know, I'm not trying to say that someone who likes digital art doesn't look at different things, but it's more likely when you're doing it that way instead of just like when you need to listen to different kinds of music. Yes. You know, I ask Alexa to play certain things and she she, <laughs> she plays the things I like. And right. You know, I remember when I used to listen to the radio and things just happened to come on and I experienced them and I got to say, oh, I like that or I don't care for that instead of being spoon-fed. And so Mm -hmm. we need to have those opportunities. And you know what? We don't need to have them not just for our youth, but mostly for youth. But we need to all have those opportunities, whether it's to look at or to experience just more art education and more opportunities for our youth to have those hands-on experiences, and really not just with art. With life, hands-on experience. Absolutely,
0: and and I think it's so important that schools continue to provide opportunities that just aren't about academics. Mm -hmm. You know, so many places are so concerned about state testing that everything's been pushed to the side. If it isn't academics, we're not doing it. Well, I think that's absolutely wrong. Not everybody's going to be an academician. Not everybody's going to be one working in math. Mm -hmm. Um, If you don't give kids opportunities in in the gymnastics and sports and art and music, how will they ever know if they have a skill in that area?
1: Right, And, you know, the kid who can do geometry on paper can't always build something, and vice versa. The kid who can build something, you might never know how good he is or she is at building because they can't quite see it on paper in their geometry lesson. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so... As an educator, I know why all the state testing happens, because they want accountability, accountability, accountability. And so I know why that happens, but the fact of the matter is, is I truly believe that all of that testing students would score better on if they had more life practical experiences. Oh, I'm doing this math problem. How can I, I mean, I... I teach art and I have to teach them every single year. I have to teach the kids how to use a ruler. It's because we are not doing practical things. They stopped doing cursive in school. That's true. Guess what's happened? Everyone can argue all day long about whether cursive is valid or not. I don't care about that. You know what is valid? Fine motor skills are valid.
0: Yes. And
1: what a better way to teach fine motor skills than with cursive so that they're doing their schoolwork while they're developing fine motor skills. I'm teaching fine motor skills to 13-year-olds. Not that I wouldn't be. That's amazing. And so, and I teach sewing because they don't teach home anymore and so in my art class we do so hand sewing every year because I'm like you're gonna learn to sew a button on and hem a pair of pants (laughs) and and I have kids who I visited the high school recently and there was a boy who came up to me and said Mrs. Bucci, I still use sewing I was like you do he goes yeah I sew patches on stuff and I do this and he was giving me a list and I was like that's amazing He was like I loved it
0: it's a life skill
1: yeah it's a life skill well Mm -hmm.
0: thank you for all of these things that you're you're saying with us and sharing with us. It really makes my gray matter, you know, really start to uh, be be moving and thinking about what you said. And I'll I'll be thinking about this and talking about this with my wife when I see her for dinner today. (laughs)
1: That's
0: lovely. So, Laura Pucci, thank you ever so much for finding time in your schedule to come and talk to us at Where We Talk Art. It's been a pleasure. Listeners, thank you, too, for finding time in your schedule to join us. We have lots of episodes with lots of interesting people. So come and explore more episodes at Where We Talk Art, which is produced by Partnership for the Arts Group. Until we meet again, be well.